If you weren't here last week, uh, you might be asking, what's going on? (laughs) We're in a series, Motown, and uh, we're looking at the life of Moses. It's a guy that was willing to listen to God. It was a guy that was willing to sing a different tune, and ultimately he changed the rhythm of an entire nation. Last week we found out kind of looked at Moses' early life, and uh, we found out he was a, kind of a basket case in some ways. So. <laughs> okay. I want to bring you up to speed a little bit if you weren't here. Uh, Moses was born during a time that the Jewish people, the, the Hebrews, were slaves in Egypt, and uh, there, there was kind of this Jewish baby boom happening, and Pharaoh uh, ends up issuing an executive order to kill all the Jewish baby boys that are born. And that's the situation that Moses is born into. And uh, so when Moses was born, his parents hit him. And after a few months, they realized that they couldn't keep doing this. And so they, they trusted God, devised a plan, and because they loved Moses... They put him in a basket and uh, strategically placed him so that Pharaoh's daughter would find him. And uh, she found him. She fell in love with him, and ultimately she adopts Moses. And uh, his biological parents got the opportunity to raise him till he was five years old, and then he moves into the palace where he is raised by his adoptive parents. And... Uh, My guess is that when Moses looked back on his life as an adult, when he's looking back, I'm going to guess he could see the hand of God uh, and uh, that he was able to see that God God moved, uh, at least looking back. That would be my guess. But uh, I think it had to be tough. I mean, this transition in his life from uh, the Hebrew shanty that he lived in with his biological parents to the palace with his adoptive parents. I think it would have been extremely hard. And I'm sure there were many times that Moses was going, what's going on? You know, I bet that Moses spent most of his youth confused. I mean, think about it. This is a Jewish boy that's being raised in an Egyptian palace and all this splendor. He's being raised by parents that are ethnically different than him, racially different than him, and religiously, they were very different from him. I think that Moses' adoptive parents knew that he was different. I think the kids that he grew up with knew that he was different. And I guarantee you that Moses understood that he was very different. In fact, I would argue that the first 40 years of Moses' life that he, he spent with people, he was surrounded by family and people, but he never really belonged. And I think it was a struggle for him, because part of him's royal, and part of him's a slave. And I'm reading between the lines here, but I think Moses was a bit of a troubled soul. I think that there were times in his life where he felt unacceptable, that he felt unloved in his life. And I think maybe even times where he felt like he was unwanted. And as a result, I think Moses was kind of wounded and broken in in his early life and that 
he ended up dealing with a lot of issues in his life, like anger issues and security issues and things like that. And I, I love the story of Moses. I love it. But I think if you can take Moses out of the kind of superhero realm, do you know what I mean, and see him as an ordinary guy, I think what you find is a guy that is pretty bruised up, a guy that was hurting and wounded in his life. And I think all of us, to some degree or another, we all have nicks and and bruises. We all have some kind of wounds that that kind of mark us in in life. You you ever uh, cut down a tree or see a tree and uh, it's got the rings in in the stump? You know what I'm talking about? And experts can look at those rings and they can tell you how old the tree is. Uh, They can tell you what happened particular years just by looking at the rings. Each ring tells a story. And so they can look at it and go, well, that ring right there, there was a drought that year. You know, another ring, they'll go, well, there was a lot of rain, a lot of growth. You know, that ring lightning strike, you know, that ring, one of Damon's golf balls, you know, those kinds of things. Um, And I think the same is true in our life, that if we could do a cross-section of our life, that the rings tell a story. I mean, one ring might show a time when there was a lot of nicknames and bullying, a time you, like, hated going to school, or another ring that is a season of accomplishment and, and success, or another ring where a spouse calls it quits, and it, and it marked you. You know, another one might indicate a time when things flourished, or maybe there's a ring in your life that shows the absence of a parent saying, you know, I love you, or I'm proud of you. Maybe there's a ring that shows a time when you were used or abused in your life. But the fact is, if we went around the room, we all have wing, uh, these rings in our life, and there's these wounds. Moses... I think, was wounded. And like most people that are wounded, I think Moses compensated the same way that that you and I do. The book of Exodus tells us the story of Moses in in detail. I want to look at kind of the cliff note version today, and it's written by a guy named Stephen, the book of Acts. Uh, It starts out, it says, Moses was educated in, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in words and deed. See, I think Moses, the first 40 years of his life, that this wounded guy kind of compensated by going to all the right Egyptian schools, by learning culture, by kind of sharpening his intellect and developing his leadership skills, and that he just sunk himself into it. And I'm going to guess people around him, if they were just casually looking at his life, they'd go, you know what, this guy's got it made. I mean, he's got it all together. But there's something I've figured out in life as I've watched people that not only do wounds happen in our life, but sometimes they get infected and then sometimes they just get hidden. You know, we bury them. Moses, I think, looked great on the outside. But I believe deep in his DNA that he had a longing to belong somewhere. You know, he, he may have walked like an Egyptian, going to break out into song here. 
If you're too young to know what I just said, just ask the person next to you. Yeah. Someone asked me, we did a Beatles song one time, and they're like, uh, yeah, I've heard of them. And it's like, what? Yeah, so, I mean, he just didn't fit in. Moses didn't fit in. And I think it bothered him. In fact, Acts uh, 7.23, picking up, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, <laughs> 40, there's something weird that happens when people turn 40, right? I mean, not only do you call the number you see on TV and order that ab lounger, you, there's a lot of deeper stuff that happens. You know, and I've said the 40s, it's kind of like jumping into a pool of water and having a dozen tennis balls and trying to go underwater and hang on to them. The fact is, it's going to surface. You know, good luck trying that. The the fact is, I I think you can fight for years and years and years. But at some point, and I think 40 is the point, you finally go, I give up. I'm going to let this stuff surface. See what happens. Moses hits 40. He decides to visit his fellow Israelites. Think about that for a minute. He decides he's going to reconnect with his own people. And I think he was desperately looking for acceptance. He wanted a little community with him. So he goes, and on his way, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. I think Moses reacts impulsively. And he becomes this kind of self-appointed deliverer. And he murders the Egyptian. And he hides the body in the sand. Scripture says he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Ouch. They didn't. Moses thought that his people would want him. He assumed because of his background, because of his position, because of his education, because of his clout, he thought that if he just reached out to them, that the Hebrew people would celebrate, that they would embrace him. And the reality is, They didn't want anything to do with this wannabe deliverer. They just wanted him to go away. It's interesting, the next day, Scripture says that he he runs into two Israelites that are fighting with each other. These two guys are pushing each other around a little bit. And Moses steps in and he tries to break it up. He's like, you know, stop, guys. You're your brothers. You're both Hebrew. You're on the same team. What are you doing? Why are you hurting each other? And these guys push back. says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses kind of freaks out. He realizes the words out on him, that they found the body probably. He, he knows that people know And he also realizes this is his death sentence because that was the penalty back then. 
So Moses takes off. He takes off running. Scripture says, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian. Now you got to think, this is the middle of the desert, deep desert, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Here's what I think. I think Moses, he runs and takes off, not only out of fear for his own life, I think he took off running because he didn't feel like he belonged anywhere. You know, the word foreigner here is, uh, in the Greek, it means, I do not belong. I do not belong. Moses didn't belong. He didn't belong with the Egyptians. He didn't belong with the Israelites. He didn't belong anywhere. And that's why I think Moses was wounded. You know, I, I think a lot of us are like Moses. You know, we, we kind of compensate when we get wounded. Because what we do, we run from reality. You know, we run from truth. We run away from God. You know, we chase after things like achievement and education and success and status and money. And, and what we do with all that stuff is pretend everything's okay when it's not. Everything isn't okay. Yeah, we sacrifice everything just to fit in a certain peer group. You know, we run and hide and we kind of put ourselves in this self-imposed exile. And we vow, I'm never going to get close to anyone ever again. And the truth is, down deep, under it all, the wounds, they wreak havoc in our soul. And friends, if they're not treated... Eventually, what happens? They kind of seep out. It's like a poison that just seeps out and begins to destroy things. Like Moses, we do the same thing. We lash out. You know, we, we decide to take matters into our own hands. We, we make bad decisions. And it just begins to seep and affect and damage everything. Everyone that gets in their wake, it just, it's how it works. Eventually, Moses, all this junk that he's dealing with, it lands him in the middle of the desert. Desert of failure, a desert of guilt, a desert of regret, a desert where he's going, what's going on? What's going on? You know, I, I know that sometimes you end up in the desert and things just happen. You don't have any control over it. But sometimes, if we're honest, we run to the desert. Sometimes we move there. We take up residency there. That's where this prince of Egypt finds himself in the desert. And there's some about deserts. There, there are some things you only learn when you go to the desert. You know, it's, a, it's an education in the wilderness, you know, the university of the wasteland, so to speak. And they, there are some great alumni that have attended that university. I mean, Joseph, he attended. Moses, Elijah, Paul, Jesus. You know, just a few of the distinguished graduates. You know, they, they enrolled in this costly school a place where the courses are really hard, the discipline's very exacting. And many people, when they go to this university, they drop out. They drop out. But those that see it through, it changes them. 
I mean, it, it marks them. It, they gain a perspective that they never would have gained before. They, they have steady nerves. They develop a keen vision in their life. They have insight. And get this, they learn total dependency on God. And total independency from pleasing people. You know, they, they end up earning a, a great level of, of sympathy and humility and patience. In other words, there's no shortcuts here. It's God's training ground. The desert. <laughs> I mean, it'll, it'll burn away any false pretenses you have. It'll peel the mask. It'll blow away your sense of self-importance. It'll reveal your strengths and weaknesses in life. And it'll expose your character. But get this. If you graduate, if you make it through, you put yourself in a position to be used by God in ways that you never could have been used before. I mean, Moses, Moses... His upbringing in Egypt was only half of what he needed to do what God wanted him to do. He still needed some refining. And when he enrolled in this university of the wasteland, he majored in some character development out there. And I I think his class schedule was pretty tough. There are no electives here. It's all the required courses. And I think maybe his freshman year, maybe he took a class like Obscurity 101. The book says, Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flocks to the far side of the desert. Talk about downward mobility. Wow. I mean, when he was in Egypt, he had VIP treatment. Every restaurant, he probably got comped on the, on the ticket. You know, He had box seats at every ball game. He had gone, think about this, from dining with heads of states to counting the heads of sheep. This powerful prince of Egypt, he's a nobody nomad out in the middle of the desert. Moses is in obscurity. There's something I've discovered in life that when the props are taken away, you discover who you really are. You know, obscurity has a way of taking you from a who's who to asking the question, who am I? And you finally get real with yourself and with God. Desert. It's a place God chooses to speak to the deepest part of you. You know, I kind of picture Moses sitting in the desert, watching his sheep, looking up to heaven, going, what's going on? You know, what's going on? When it all goes south, hear this, when it all goes south in your life, there's only one title that matters that you're a son of God, a daughter of God. Obscurity in the desert, I think, taught Moses that. You know, maybe his sophomore year, Moses took like a practicum and discomfort. You know, that, that's a course you wouldn't sign up for, would you? I mean, if you had a choice. 
But the, the desert of discomfort, it, it just strips you down to the basics. It, it makes you evaluate what's important and what's not important. I believe when you're struggling to survive, to keep your head above water, that your perspective rapidly changes, that your priorities quickly crystallize, that you figure out what matters. I love uh, Garth Brooks' song. Uh, It's a classic song, The Dance. It says, I could have missed the pain, but I've had to miss the dance. Moses goes through all this discomfort in the desert Because of that pain, he got to dance with God. I mean, maybe his junior year, he took a core class on time management or something like that. I mean, he was in the desert a really long, long time, 40 years, actually. How many parents here? Let me see parents. All right. I got a question for you. When you're on a trip, getting ready to go on a trip, and you get in the car, and you got little kids, all right? There is one question that you have to face, and they will ask it as soon as you pull out of the drive. They will ask it often, and they will ask it with increasing whininess, right? What's the question? Are we there yet? Very good. Are we there yet? When Moses is in the wilderness, he had to learn patience. And I believe it served him really well when he was in leadership. Sometimes desert experiences are long. They will wear you down. James 1 says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. At that point, I just want to go, James, are you crazy? He says, You know that under pressure, your faith-like life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Friends, don't cut class. God will teach you when you're in the desert. And don't stare at the clock and count the seconds. I I remember uh, being in school as a kid, and our our school got out at 3.15, I'd be sitting at my desk like at 2.30. I'd stare at the clock and think, just a little while longer, just a little while longer. 2.31. Are you kidding me? (laughs) 2.32. I wonder if the clock's broke. Some of you are doing that right now. One thousand one, one thousand two, one thousand three. Come on, I've got to quit watching the clock. It's taking forever. And friends, not only did it make time hard, I missed everything that was being taught. And friends, when you're in the wilderness and God is teaching, don't miss the teaching. You know, God will ring the bell when class is over. You know, maybe. Moses' final class, uh, his senior year, was Solitude 401. In fact, I believe you can't lead without this one. You know, this is a class where Moses meets God. You know, I believe nothing great happens in life without significant solitude in life. My favorite scripture, uh, or one of my favorites, Psalms 46. 
Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Quit running and know that I'm God. After 40 years of obscurity, discomfort, solitude, grad school, God speaks to Moses. He speaks to him through a bush that's on fire. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. Moses spots the bush. He thinks, that's kind of weird. Seriously, I wonder how long it took him to figure it out. You know, because I kind of picture him maybe eating breakfast, going, hmm, that bush is on fire. wonder how that happened. A little later at lunch, maybe. He's like, wow, that bush is still burning. What's going on? And finally, it just gets really weird. He gets a little closer to the bush, and the bush talks. Now, that got his attention. Scripture says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. A couple things hit me as I read that. First of all, this bush won't burn up. And I think it's to remind us that God is combustible, that God never runs out, that is inextinguishable. That's the kind of God that, that we serve. You know, that God goes on and on and on. You know, I think about you and I needed a creator. God didn't. He always has been. Always will be. You know, you and I need food and, and water to survive. God doesn't need anything. You know, we need shelter. We need electricity and heat. God has his own power source. You and I get sick, we get hurt, we get distracted, we get scared in our lives. God's never in danger. God never wavers. God never sleeps. God never gets nervous. God never burns out. God never has, never will. He just keeps burning and going. In the middle of the desert, Moses encounters the eternal God. And God says, the place where you're standing... This holy ground. Moses, because I am, because I am here, take your shoes off. And this is the second thing that kind of hits me is I've always wondered why God told him to take his shoes off. I mean, it kind of makes sense to us as we, we go, oh, well, of course. But if you read the Old Testament, anything that was holy in the Old Testament, was always covered. You weren't allowed to touch it. You know, like uh, the Torah. uh, It was the Old Testament law. It would have been in a scroll. They always covered it with a sheet. They handled it with a sheet because you couldn't pick it up. You weren't allowed to touch it because it was holy. And so here we have just the opposite. I mean, I would have expected God to say, Moses, You need to put on a couple pair of socks. Get those insulated work boots that you got. Put them on. You're on holy ground. That's what I expect God to say. But God says, take off your sandals. 
you're on holy ground. And I think, and this is just my guess, that God was saying, you know what? This is personal. This is personal. I want to touch you. I want to get up close. And I think in that moment, Moses was going, what is going on here? Are you kidding me? In fact, maybe God's saying that to some of you right now. You know, I want to get personal. I want to touch you. I want to get personal in your life. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. During this encounter, God gives gives Moses the assignment for his life. He, he, He lets Moses know that he's seen the misery of the the people in Egypt. Moses, Moses, have you seen what's going on? Scripture says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses, do you see what's going on? There are too many of you crying. And there are far too many of you dying. You know, we've got to find a way. Moses, get ready. I've got a way. Scripture says this, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. At that point, Moses pushes back. He says, excuse me, are you kidding me? I mean, it didn't say that, but I believe it could have said that. Because he says, you know, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. I love Moses' response. He's kind of noncommittal here. Uh, He says, suppose, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here we go, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When I read that passage, I realize how small I am. God is I am. In other words, I am not. (laughs) You know, God is transcendent, and I'm not. God is perfect, and I'm not. God is infinite, I'm not. God's unfailing, and I'm not. God's all-knowing, I'm not. God's all-powerful, I'm not. Friends, we have more information at our fingertips than any other time in history. And get this, no matter how much you know or think you know, it is peanuts compared to the knowledge of God. There are no mysteries to God. God knows about everything. He knows about zoology and meteorology. 
He knows about psychology and geology and chemistry and physics and medicine and genetics. God knows absolutely everything there is to be known. The psalmist says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Moses, he launches into all these excuses. God, people won't listen to me. They won't believe that you appeared to me. Hey, remember, I'm a fugitive. I've got a bounty on my head. I bet he pulled out the dysfunctional family speech. (laughs) My childhood. Come on, I'm I'm a mess. I've got issues. I was raised with people that didn't even understand me. Look at me. Besides, I'm tongue-tied. I'm awful in front of crowds. God, I, I can't do this. Please, 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 please send someone else. And God just shoots down his excuses. Gives him uh, some supernatural object lessons that he can put to work. Uh, involves his shepherd staff. We'll talk about that next week. I mean, you can read all about this, and I hope you have been reading the book of Exodus, but chapter 4 covers it all. God says to Moses, Moses, I've chosen you. Moses, you have my grace. You have been accepted, and that's all that matters is that I accept you. Your character's been refined. Your heart has been humbled. Your past has been erased. I'm giving you a second chance, Moses. And I want you to go back. I want you to go back and face the most powerful man on the planet with the most powerful army behind him. And I want you to tell him I'm taking his labor force. I want you to go and lead the people that rejected you I want you to go back to the place where you had your greatest failure and let me use you. Moses, I think, probably was overwhelmed at that point. What's going on here? God, you you should have got me 40 years ago. I mean, I was young. I was persuasive, I was strong back then, and I had clout. I had the Pharaoh's ear back then. But now, I'm a has-been, has-been prince. I'm a nobody shepherd. And friends, from that bush, the God of grace, the God of hope, the God of power, speaks to this 80-year-old desert rat in the middle of nowhere and says, I'm not done with you. I want to use you. And that's exactly what God did. Moses moves from the desert. And I love the simplicity of of this uh, verse. It says, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hands. Friends, if you've ever been wounded, if you've ever been in the desert of failure in your life, you need to know this, that if you are willing to humble yourself and you're willing to turn it over to God, one day, sooner or later, you will have a burning bush experience in your life and you will sense the whisper of God saying, come on, 
take off your shoes. Let's get to know each other. It's time to leave the desert. It's a new day. I want to use you. I've chosen you. I will be with you. And I know some of you are thinking that God's kind of written you off. You might be thinking, oh, someone else is more qualified. But like Moses, you may have a million excuses, but I want to challenge you to think again. Who's going to give me the ability to do this? I am. Who's going to get me past the fear? I am. Who's going to provide for my needs now that he's gone? I am. Who's going to mend my broken heart? I am. You know, who's going to help me find a job? I am. Who's going to help me walk through the scary road to recovery? I am. Who's going to be with me when I step into that big house and it's empty? I am. It's going to be there. I am. Friends, always has been, always will be. Moses, he ran to the desert. He's running away from everything. And the whole time he's running, I think he must have been wondering, what's going on? Well, friends, I'll tell you what's going on. The whole time, God is working in his life. In the desert, Moses, Moses finds God. He finds himself. He, He finds what he is created for, and he finds his mission. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. You know, what's going on in your life? God wants to meet you wherever you're at. I know that. Sometimes it's dark. Sometimes our souls are dried up. But there's a God, the I am, that says, I'll be with you. I'll see you through. It's a new day. Let's leave. Let's leave the desert. I've got a mission for you. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I know there are those here today that are right in the middle of the desert. Their souls are parched and thirsty. God, I pray that They'd see that bush burning. That they'd hear your voice. God, I know there are those that would stand today and give testimony and say, I don't want to go back to the desert, but I learned so much in the desert. God, I thank you for the example of Moses. I thank you that you do hear the cries of your people. I thank you for your love, your grace. God, when we find ourselves going, what's going on? That we just lean on your grace. We give you the praise. We give you the glory in good and in bad times. It's in Christ's holy name we pray.